Welcome to the Kaiju Transmissions Podcast. I am Kyle Bird. Matt. Wait, what? I ha- am it- muted Matt Parmley. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh. a great start. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's typical. People expect nothing but the best on this show. Um, and uh, other voice in the room, uh, you know him, you love him. It's our friend Trev. How you doing, Trev? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Um, uh, and you can catch Trev on his own podcast, Failure to Franchise, and Days of Future podcast. You got anything uh, exciting going on there? It's it's the summer. Mm-hmm. Well, on Failure to Franchise, which is a podcast about failed movie franchise starters, we're just finishing up our summer surprise where we actually let like a computer randomizer pick our movies for us. So that was kind of a rough go there, but... Heading into the fall, I'm excited because we're going to be doing the DCPU, um, looking at all the failed DC <laughs> franchise starters. <laughs> There's uh, a lot of those. The, well, not maybe not all. But over the years, we're looking at a bunch of them. We're going from like you know Supergirl to Superman Returns to more modern ones like Black Adam and the Flash. So, so well, you used AI and laid somebody off and have <laughs> terrible joke. Uh, actually, all, no, that sounds awesome. I'm all about awesome. the, the AI, yeah. There's less <laughs> less jobs possible. <laughs> and Chris, I make sure my co-host Chris doesn't get any residuals either. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't deserve any after some of the takes he's had, to be fair. <laughs> I don't feel bad for that guy. No, Chris is <laughs> Chris is, is wild. There was one I was listening to not too long ago, and it was like a horrible movie that he was like <laughs> I don't know. That's happened a few times. <laughs> He's well, like, oh, before I'm you say like that, it. keep in mind what we're all about to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, we, we, fair. If you listen to my show, we definitely don't deserve any residuals either. <laughs> yeah, we we, we 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 can't get on a high horse here here at Kaiju Transmissions. Um, <laughs> we're talking about the Meg Two, the Trench, a movie that I don't think any of us really remembered was happening until like three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and Bert, I already have to correct you because I, for some reason, I don't know if you don't notice this. It's not even the Meg Two; it's just Meg Two, the trench. They got rid of that the at the huh. beginning. That's weird, but okay. Are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to just change the name of your franchise? <laughs> well, it worked for Rambo. That's true. That's true. Um, also titled Shark Two in some territories. <laughs> Is it? I, I like that more. Maybe I don't. I don't really? know. Just probably... Shark. I don't. <laughs> I think the like you know there's this whole like uh, big trend of uh, Chinese uh, 
like monster movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like their, what what we were what what was like our sci fi channel movies, but a lot of them have like titles like Snake and <laughs> and stuff like that. That's what that sounds like. Yeah, um, I'm sure there's just also markets where the Steve Alton novels had like no kind of you know they weren't a big deal or nobody was really that aware of them. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, you read, I, I know you, uh, it's going back five years, believe it or not, mm-hmm. but I, I know on the last one, you said that you read the first book and, you know, mm-hmm. you, you talked a little bit about, about that versus the movie. Did you, did you read the second one or any of the other ones? I know what's funny is I had like the first four and then they just sat there forever and I just got to the point where I felt like I wasn't going to read them. So I think I just gave them away to the library. <laughs> um, but I did today like do like a really quick read of just the summary of the second novel just so I could see like how similar this was. And I'll, I'll talk about that okay. later. I mean, well, I suffice to say this is even more of a loose adaptation than the first one was. It's, oh, wow. It's, yeah. Like, that, that, in, the first one only, was, almost. Yeah. F- well, the first one was fairly loose to begin with. Yeah. This one is, There's I mean, there, I was actually wondering seven. when I was watching the credits for this one, where I was like, are they even going to bother saying it's like based on the novel? And they did. I'm sure it's contractual, but I don't think they're yeah, even yeah. paying attention to the novels at this point. Uh, yeah. There's a seven or eight of them at this point. Yeah. He's, he, he, he keeps, I think one. I think the newest one came out this year. I think even. Um. Anyway, but yeah, uh, part of the reason uh, you're on here is just you're a fellow shark movie enthusiast, as mm-hmm. as am I. Um. If if people uh, haven't heard the the episode from five years ago or need a refresher, um, Trev and I are. I mean, we'll pretty much watch any shark movie that. <laughs> we come across for better or worse um i mean uh i mean snow shark sand shark shark to puss mega shark versus mecha shark uh the like the amount of shark movies is endless uh and and i think uh uh when you look into that subgenre more, there is a small little subgenre of movies about megalodons, which are like giant, like kaiju-sized sharks. Um, I think Shark Attack Three is probably the the one that um, I guess when you're talking about like straight straight to video movies, that's probably the most famous megalodon movie outside of you know the Meg and stuff like that. Um, and uh, I think uh, there's there's been some in the years between uh, this and when we did the first one. I know. Um, I think the asylum did like the megalodon or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The Asi- I know they they did one with Michael Madsen that I watched yeah. with you, and I think mm-hmm. we found it to be fairly boring. And <laughs> and I think there might have been another one within the last year that the asylum did. And then there was, um, one that was a little bigger that had, uh, that actually like it came out in theaters. I, it made like $5, but it did come out in theaters. It had uh, Josh Lucas in it. Um, it was called black demon. Do you remember that from like six months ago or something? I mean, I didn't even know that was a Megalodon movie. I mean, I know you're talking well, about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It, just it, came it and went so fast. I didn't know that. I knew it was a shark movie. I didn't know it was a Megalodon yeah. movie. And that was, that was like really like a blink and you miss it. Kind of thing. Um, 
We should say too, really quickly, just to throw it out there, because I know we we wanted to mention it that we're certainly you and I certainly aren't alone in our love of like the shark genre, because there are enough people like it that just recently there was a great documentary called Shark Exploitation. Yep. That you can check out on the Shutter streaming service. That gets into the whole like uh, it's actually like a much better documentary than I expected it to be. I thought it was just going to be like a list of shark movies with talking heads saying like oh, I remember that funny part in this one. Yeah, yeah. But it really it really examines like the backs the like the history of the entire. Not just the shark genre, but like man's fascination with sharks in general. Yeah, and, and I, like, know, um, and even like, and gets into the science of some of it, and yeah. what those movies have done to people like getting involved in you know ocean science, and yeah, it was really really good. Yeah, yeah, it talks a lot about how like, uh, you know, Jaws was so effective that it like it, it, people felt, yeah, it like unintentionally like encourage people to like kill sharks and like it, yeah. you know shark populations are still recovering which and, i had always known but i did not know the whole thing about how peter benchley spent the rest of his life like regretting that and really oh really into, like, you, you didn't know yeah, that? i didn't really know that no no yeah i um i i think i found that out maybe i don't know it was like 10 15 years ago we have a a cool like revival theater called the redford theater out here um and you know trev you know the redford um and they did a Jaws screening there. Like as I said, this is a long time ago. But they had someone like I don't know if he worked for the organization that like Peter Benchley and his wife like set up. But he um, it it was like a marine science guy that was like you know I mean they were like he was like taking donations and he basically like talked before the movie and he had like a little booth set up and he was talking about like how. You know how re- in re- how sharks in real life are like nothing like you know movie sharks, and he he kind of like explained that like yeah the this movie kind of like made humans act so bad <laughs> to sharks that like you know the shark population has has is like never recovered, and you know these are the con- conservation efforts and what you can do, and like it, it was it was kind of cool to have someone like that and watch the movie. Um, but yeah, yeah, the, uh, the documentary gets really into that and it's like, well, here's why sharks are good for the ecosystem. But yeah, like you said, it goes, it goes back to like pre jaws, like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, old adventure movies and like the first, uh, the first movies that have sharks as like, you know, um, like, a you know, part of like a thrilling, like, as like a, 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 plot thing and it goes into like how certain some cultures saw sharks as like heroes and protectors and um it even talks about how like uh the the i guess the actual mythology of you know um the stuff that like king shark and the dc comics is based off of like um and like sharks as gods and protectors in some culture it's, it's really interesting stuff it's um yeah, shark exploitation is the name of it, and it's uh, it's it's the guys that did the uh, Jodorowsky's Dune documentary, which is a really good documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you want to know more about uh, the history of sharks in film, is more what it really is, you know, from sharks in early silent movies up through the crazy stuff we're getting now. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, if it's you want to know one. how we got from train comes into station to Jason Statham battling a megalodon on a jet ski <laughs> with a spear. <laughs> yeah, this will this will track it for you. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Um, and I, I, I mean, uh, to kind of segue into the actual movie franchise, and in, in the books, isn't that character is not like a Jason Statham 
type, right? Isn't he more just well, like a... I mean, one of the things I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more as we get into the review, but I don't even think... I, I feel like even the first movie, he was less of a Jason Statham <laughs> type. I think, they, I think they definitely leaned into making him more of a Jason Statham type this time. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I haven't read the books, but I, my I, my impression of what I what the character was like in, on the page was like, he was more of just kind of like... I don't know that every... Sort of more every man like, you know, he was just kind of like a, and he was kind of just like a downtrodden kind of, uh, I don't know, not loser, but more just like. Well, to be fair, I don't think a lot of people think to write their characters as a Jason Statham type because yeah. that's not you know, the go to. Jason Statham's not a normal person. I mean, anyway, <laughs> I just. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if Jason Statham can do all the things he does <laughs> on film. <laughs> In 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 real life, that's a good question. You might know that. Does he do a lot of like his like his own? I mean, he's he's not like a Jackie Chan or even a Tom Cruise. No. I I doubt, but you know, no, he has fight training for sure, and he does a lot of his own. Yeah, I mean, he does his own fights and stuff like that in film. So. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, you know, I now would be a good opportunity to uh, talk about. Um, the the director Ben Wheatley because I have you here, um, and this is like a I don't know how I don't know at a certain point I think we used to get more excited <laughs> when we saw a director like Ben Wheatley get onto some of these movies but like it's there's almost it's almost become like a disturbing trend <laughs> yeah um, or if not disturbing at least like nothing to get excited about yeah yeah. Um, and we, and I don't know. It, it seems like a lot of these uh, directors that um, y- you know they start in their the low budget film world, which usually is horror, not always, but usually. Um, and we we kind of follow them, and eventually, it's like they all end up making a movie that we talk about on this podcast. Um, you know, you have Michael Doherty uh, and Adam Wingard, and. Um, uh, guys like that and uh yeah i think when <laughs> with ben wheatley was one where it was definitely like he's making the meg two you know we were all just kind of like huh <laughs> yeah, that's interesting <laughs> yeah um but yeah he's a british filmmaker who's um really hasn't m- made the most mainstream stuff um until now uh um, I'd say his most mainstream work until now wasn't even on like film. It's probably like he did some episodes of Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, yeah but um, he's I guess some exam. I mean, a fairly fairly diverse filmography though. Um, that's what that's what I think is interesting about him is you can't really say that the Meg Two feels like what he was always building to because it's impossible. This is one thing I like about Ben Wheatley is it's really impossible to nail down what his vibe is or what his aesthetic is. You you mentioned the thing about how a lot of these guys are just obviously horror guys. I think Ben Wheatley for, to a certain contingent probably is thought of as a horror guy. Cause I think a lot of people first found him through a kill list yeah. or sightseers, but he's been pretty diverse since then. He does crime movies. You know, he does weird. I mean, I, you know, you could always say it's a lot of genre stuff, but from crime movies to bizarre futuristic satire, to you know, pure horror to now this big blockbuster monster movie. He's kind of all over the place. So yeah, yeah. I, I like. Yeah, Kill List is kind of a, a super like bleak, like kind of folk horror almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, yeah, you have Sightseers, which is like kind of a a really dark comedy. It's produced yeah. by Edgar Wright. Um, 
that, that that's really good. Um, a field in England. I don't even know what to say that is like. Yeah. I mean, I love it, but like, I think we were talking the other day and I, the best comparison, I think, speaking of Jodorowsky, is I think it's kind of like a modern day Jodorowsky movie. Yeah. And, and like, I don't know, Jodorowsky's one of those guys where like people are very quick to say something is similar to Jodorowsky, but that's probably the closest. Yeah. If that you like I've Jodorowsky seen. or you like Lynch, then Field of England is probably the one to check out. Yeah. And that's probably, that, that might be my favorite movie that he's done. Um, and yeah, the, the, there was High Rise, which was kind of a futuristic sci fi satire that, um, I don't know. I, I, that book is a lot to tackle, and I don't know that yeah. that, that movie. You can definitely see that. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, um, uh, you know, I don't. I don't so much mind that these guys, you know, want to, you know, try to make a blockbuster or whatever. It's when that's like becomes all they do. That's when I'm like, eh, like it'd be nice to go back <laughs> you know yeah I mean, it'll be interesting to see like what this does for ben wheatley and where he goes from here if this was just i mean even like i say i don't mean this dismissively but if this was just a paycheck movie for him that's fine because i think you know he's earned a large paycheck at this point so why not do a studio movie and i hope you know we can say more about this as we talk about the film but i hope he at least feels that he got to put at least something of his imprint on mm-hmm. this yeah, but yeah, I mean, um, that, like, it was so cool to uh, guys like us, like, when Sam Raimi went back and did, like, Drag Me to Hell, and, you know, you know, it, it, like, if Peter Jackson was like, I want to go make, like, a crazy splatter movie in my backyard for $5, <laughs> you know, that would be sweet. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what this really, uh, you know, does for him. Um, I'll say, I mean, despite, you know, the that Rotten Tomatoes score, I mean, it's been making good money um at least internationally yeah yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is what you would expect that's what this franchise does yeah. it's doing okay i mean honestly for for something coming out in the heels of like we're still in like we're we are still in like barbenheimer mania right mm-hmm. now and it opened against ninja turtles and like all things considered i think it with all that stacked against it i think it in being a sequel to some a movie that i don't know people were okay with but is also five years old. I I think it's kind of I'm I'm kind of surprised that it didn't just completely fall on on its face. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm, I was actually like you you made the joke at the beginning where it's something we all forgot about, but that's not even it's not that much of a joke. I mean, it's I I kind of felt like there was a period like maybe a year or so ago where I felt like this was one of the movies I heard was announced, but I was like, oh, that probably just fell apart. And never ha- is it going to happen? I didn't realize they were like making it. <laughs> it yeah, I, but, along the way, because it just seemed like yeah, the Meg was like a modest enough hit, I think, but it felt like nobody was too jazzed about yeah. it. Yeah, that even the fact that a sequel exists is kind of surprising. Yeah, I, I, I we we pretty much talked we pretty much talked about it when B- Ben Wheatley signed on to do it. Then I don't like I don't but like that didn't really mean like he he was gonna do that Tomb Raider movie too and that fell mm-hmm. apart so we were like oh well whatever and then the the trailer came out and I was like oh yeah that is a thing and then like I just went back to life and then I was like oh wait that comes out like now <laughs> yeah oh, okay <laughs> and you guys even remember when the first one came out like they would ask jason statham about a sequel and he never seemed like he gave a shit either he was yeah, just always yeah. like yeah if it makes money i guess they'll do it if not whatever you know it never yeah. seemed like anybody was really like yeah man we're making a new franchise we can't wait to, to do more of these so <laughs> yeah and that's like like uh, one thing i'll say right now before we even get in the review is given that given that no one seemed to like love the first one so much that people would be really jacked for a sequel and you know the, like you said the, a five-year wait and everything I'm actually kind of surprised at how much of a sequel this is. 
Like that was one of the more surprising things <laughs> to me. I, I, I kind of thought it was going to be better like, and just... for worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought they would just drop like a lot of like what you know. There's a lot of like ancillary characters that come over. A lot of like nods to the first film. I actually rewatched the first movie the night before. I'm kind of glad I did because I'd forgotten some of those things. Yeah, I, I and... still haven't seen the first one like probably since it came out. But it, but it it is kind of like. It, it is kind of comical, almost, how the movie's like, oh, you remember this character and this character? And, I, and I'm and i just, like, sitting there like, I, it, it, not really. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I, if I, I'm, that's why I'm glad I rewatched it, because this movie kind of acts like it's, like, Marvel or something. Where yeah. It's like, you remember all these characters, <laughs> yeah, right? It's you like, this yeah. is the same setting. You love I, these characters, yeah, and you're just I like, do. I do. I watched it last night, but. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like, Cliff Curtis, I, I was like, oh, yeah, he is in these and then um the one guy uh uh like uh the uh the one the the black guy that they have uh DJ. yeah like he um that was one where like through there was at least like a good 20 minutes of the movie where I was like was he in the last one and then like just out of nowhere like it just popped into my head, like, oh yeah, this guy is in that one. But then that that kept me questioning, like all the other characters. Like I was like, like I one of the first things I did when I got home was like look up the actors to be like, wait a minute, was this one in the first one? No, oh, this one was okay. Like, <laughs> it's it's too bad you didn't watch it the night before, like I did, because I even led to some funny moments in the theater. Because like, so I the reason I watched it again, the first one, revisited it, is my my girlfriend hadn't seen it, and we we're gonna go see number two. So it's like, well, let's watch this first one again. And DJ, the character you're talking about, played by Paige Kennedy, there's like a joke in the first movie where he falls into the water and he's like, I can't swim. And, you know, and the, the Cliff Curtis character is like, uh, really? And he's like, no, don't pull that racist stuff on me. It's just I never learned because, you know, swimming wasn't part of the job description. And then, like, during this movie, just as, like, a joke, I, like, leaned over to Liz and I was like, oh, I wonder if he learned to swim in between the two movies. And then, like, five minutes later, that was actually, like, a plot point. <laughs> they, like, bring that up in the movie. I was like, that's what I mean. It's like, oh, my God, this movie's actually paying off bits from the first film. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it, yeah, the, the movie is like, you know, oh, these are people you've been spending so much time with, you love them, and it's like, I need to, <laughs> I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember these people. <laughs> Um. So it's called the trench, but um, I'm not sure if <laughs> that's super reflective of the. Uh, no, I mean that's what the name of the second plot. novel is. So again, I, I'm guessing that's just a yeah. Second, oh, like, the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, let's 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 just talk about it, Matt. Why don't you run us through? Uh, a brief breakdown of uh, of the the plot of the Meg or I'm sorry Meg Two the Trench. Yeah, no the get it right. <laughs> uh, so I guess this movie takes place what five years after the first movie, and uh, Jonas, uh, which is Jason Statham's character, has been basically fighting um, uh, what environmental crimes. It kind of opens up with this sequence where he's uh, very expendably or. Uh, the transporter and he's beating up a bunch of people on a, on a sh- uh, cargo ship, which is actually kind of fun. Um, then we go to the, basically the base that's monitoring the Meg. They have one in captivity. Uh, um, I believe this is a female named, uh, Heike. I think I'm saying that right. Um, and the short version is, uh, Heike escapes. They're not sure why. Um, and they're going into this thing that the, the uh, the trench, 
that has this like sort of protective barrier that they have to get through. Uh, they get through that. They are exploring. Uh, they hop into two little submarine things. They're going down there. They're exploring what's what's below. They're trying to find new sea creatures. Uh, Heike actually happens to show up and mates with two uh, male megalodons. Uh, in the meantime, they find that there's actually another like processing plant down there, and they under they uncover that another group is doing mining. Um, there's an explosion, and that ruptures the trench, and then a bunch of crap breaks loose. People start dying and having to like run out of oxygen and put on like basically exosuits, and um, and then eventually we get out of the trench. I know I'm kind of going breezy on this, but we get out of the trench. Uh, back to kind of the mainland and the last act is pure absurdity we have giant octopus we have these snapper monster things that look like dinosaurs um there's a bunch of fighting between different human factions there's betrayal and then you have shark versus octopus you have people versus octopus you have uh wave runners running away from 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 sharks it's it's a lot of fun and then uh, Jason Statham lives, and everything is, is better. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. uh, you also have the return of everybody's favorite character from the first film, Pippin the dog, coming back uh, in this one. Yeah. I would not have been surprised if they used the exact same footage from because <laughs> it's only seen swimming. Yeah, like the, outtakes or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Pippin gets a little bit more action in this one. We get the moment where Pippin like, attacks the uh, giant octopus. Uh, yeah, I guess that was, that was fun. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, some, uh, we have, uh, Statham's back and then, um, uh, he's raising the one lady's daughter and then yeah, they kill her Ying, off. uh, play, <laughs> played by Shuya <laughs> Sophia Kai. Uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll give them credit for actually, that's the same actress from the first film. Yeah. I didn't I, know I, that. E- I, I didn't. I don't know. I mean, it's been a while, but I just yeah. and I even went back and like looked at pictures because I was like, "Is that the same actress?" And like, it is, but like, yeah, she's definitely like she looks like a different person, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was just surprised because I mean, she's only done like one thing in between, and you would just expect that. Oh, it's a teenager now. Let's just get like a, a different actress. And I, I, I like that they actually kept you know gave her the chance and said you know because like. I, I mean, she was fine in the first one, but you never know how a kid actor is going to evolve. Yeah, and, and like, s- yeah, no, you can you can still play this part. And, and sometimes, like, they don't even ask the 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 like if there's a little uh, someone that's a little kid, even if they're like still acting into adulthood or teenage years. Like, they sometimes they don't even ask them back. Like, yeah. uh, um, I forget her name. I actually just saw her in something else. But um, the 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 actress that plays the little girl in Independence Day. Um, like she, oh, yeah, yeah. she like kept acting like, and she's in like some popular stuff. Like I said, I just mm-hmm. watched something with her. I don't remember what it was, but yeah, I, I remember when the second, when they did the second one, she was like, they didn't even like ask me. They just got, I think, it, I think it's Micah Monroe it is, that yeah. they got for. And she was like, you know, I would have done it, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think even, uh, who, who the actress that played, um, ant-man's daughter the teenage version of ant-man's daughter in endgame like i know they they didn't ask yeah. her back for quantumania and she was like yeah I, she was like it's disappointing but like i guess i get it <laughs> so yeah no yeah that little tangent but yeah that that's it's it's nice that she came back 
Um, what happened to her mother, played by Lee Bingbing <laughs> in the first one, is anyone's guess. She, she died. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She, 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 go, she gone. The movie doesn't even like say like I don't know. Me and Trev were talking about this a little bit earlier today, like we were texting, and it's like apparently she was attached to the movie until like I don't know, like she ended up dropping out, but like I don't know for if, if whatever reason, like I don't know if it's out there why she she dropped out but uh i don't know i guess she does like a lot of other stuff like with the un and stuff like so maybe she's just busy but but it's so weird that like the workaround to that wasn't like oh like your you know your mother's on an assignment in another country you could have left her alive for a meg (laughs) three yeah she's dead seems almost like they were mad she dropped out yeah and and then like even then, though, you'd think like, oh, you know, it hasn't been the same since your mom had that accident, you know, in in, <laughs> in the Pacific Ocean or whatever. But no, it's just like, oh, she's she's dead. And then I like, thinking, like, you know, if you really wanted, like, you know, there's a lot of ways to make this better. Right. I mean, because like Liz said that since it was they show that she died in 2021. So uh, Liz's assumption was it was a covid. death. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think you could also, if you wanted to, like, add a, like, there's, like, a whole thing in this, right, about how, so one of the new main characters that kind of takes her place is her brother, who we never heard anything about in the first film, but it turns out there was a brother, um, and he is the one who, like, trains Heike, and is like, no, I, and, like, everyone's like, you can't train a Megalodon, this is dangerous, he's like, no, I have, like, a special bond with Heike, you could have added in, like, a little subplot where Heike actually killed the, killed his sister, you know, and despite that, he still believes that there's something to be saved or rescued here, but no, she just died. Yeah. And yeah, that's all they say is like, Oh, since your mother, you know, passed away. And then like, I think there's like a screen like during a speech that (laughs) says like, you know, whatever to 2021 or something is like her death year. And and then that's like it. (laughs) And the rest is, you know, Statham being, you know, the, the kind of overly protective father type with her, which um yeah which i will say you know is is uh shallow <laughs> no pun intended as you know the characters in this like i mean they the the they they have some some nice moments together i th- i feel like they did in the first one too they did um, yeah uh he's, but he surprised he like he plays the moments with the girl surprisingly well yeah like, yeah he plays them with a lot that, like i guess they've done that in the transporter as well right with him having to take care of like a younger mm-hmm. like a young so like he actually can pull that off pretty well. Yeah, he he plays those with more warmth than you would mm-hmm. expect, I think. Um but yeah, well so yeah, kind of like what Matt was alluding to is uh in in the the plot summary is yeah, not a lot of this movie doesn't take place in the trench and um you know, the, that's kind of where the first act in first in a, like one and a half of the acts are in the trench. I guess more takes place in the trench in this one than the first one. I can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the 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 middle portion of the movie gets into this whole like thing of, you know, the people financing their research are also like uh, they have ulterior motives and they're, you know, um, kind of shocked. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're uh, they're you know using the technology and and stuff for their own gain and. You know they 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 turn on Statham and and crew, um, which uh, we have to. I don't know if now is the best time, but we we have to talk about. There's this this scene where like 
it's established that they're like very deep in the ocean. I think scientifically they're like even past the point of where that Titanic submersible uh the Oh yeah, they, they would have been crushed to death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a part in here where it, and and they they even say like okay, we we had to develop these special suits to like go down and it's like okay, that's just, you know, it's cheap B-movie sci-fi technology and stuff whatever. But there's a there's a point where the bad guys like trap them, and Statham has to swim out into like another part <laughs> of this this compound, and uh, they're like, oh, but he doesn't have a suit, and they're <laughs> and they're like, no, it'll be fine. He's just got to like exhale out, like he has to like fill his sinuses with water and exhale out his nose, and then another character is even like, won't he get crushed? And they're like, how do you think fish? Do- <laughs> How do you think fish do it? And it's like fish aren't. We're not fish. We're not shaped like fish. We're not. We're not developed like fish. And it was like that was their way of like explaining that. Explaining this, like, uh, and um, it's one of those moments where you don't know if the movie is insulting you or if you need to kind of be like, I kind of admire the the very bold stupidity on display here. Yeah. Cause like in that moment, what I was thinking about is how that's like this, that logic is the, the kind of logic that would be in like an old fifties or sixties sci-fi movie. And we kind of like, wouldn't bat an eye at it. You know, we just go like, Oh, that's kind of cute and charming that that's what they thought. Yeah. It, so it, I think it's, this kind of has that vibe where I don't think the movie cares that it's science isn't accurate. I think it's just like, whatever, we'll, we'll do what we need to do for the story to chug along. Yeah. It kind of reminded me, I, I, I don't watch these movies, so I don't know the details. I just remember the trailers, but like, wasn't there a fast and furious movie where they like went to space and like duct taped their like suits shut or I know something? They, I, I know they went to space, but I'd stopped watching. But <laughs> yeah, that, that, I, <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what it reminded uh, me of. Anyway, so yeah, I, I mean, uh, I guess we we kind of got ahead of ourselves for a minute there, but yeah. So, so uh, we all saw the Rotten Tomato score dropped uh, the day the day it was revealed. Dropped the score as zero percent, and it slowly climbed up to like. I feel like it's probably in the 30s or something now. I I, I don't I I haven't kept up with it, and we were just kind of like all like, it can't, I don't know. It, can it really be like that bad? Like it's a Meg movie, and it was weird. Like it got me to like go back and look at the first one, which is at like a 40 something. And I don't know. I remember maybe it's just because I know people that like like you know regular average joe kind of people that saw the first one and liked it but i felt like i remembered the first one being received better i i, I guess that's my fault that that's just my uh, memory first meg is mid 40s for both the audience and critics the meg uh, meg 2 is 28% and audience score is 73% interesting interesting so um, I do not think this is twenty eight percent. Yeah, that. Yeah, no, I. Yeah, you know, it's weird because, like, I think, like, to me, my memory is the overwhelming response to the first one was that was fine, but kind of disappointing. Yeah, you know, I think everyone had that reaction. That's of like, fair. Well, that wasn't yeah. as goofy as I wanted it to be, but like, 
it's perfectly serviceable. You yeah, know, yeah. You, like you said, you, you haven't rewatched it. That's kind of like that kind of speaks to that, right? And I only rewatched it because I was going to see the new one, and I want. My and it, was it, it more like, or less how the same? Did you it, know? Honestly, honestly, I liked it a little bit more than I remembered liking it, and I think that probably was because my expectations were set. Yeah, yeah. This time, where yeah. I my I went into my second viewing being like remembering that I was kind of disappointed in it, and then I was watching it going, oh no, this is actually fine. You know, it's like a fine little, like you know PG thirteen shark movie. I think I think the first time I saw it. I really wanted it to be really stupid, like you know, like the good, like the right kind of stupid, and it's yeah. actually kind of straight faced for the most part. And so I think, like, you know, it kind of came out of it like, oh, that's too bad. And this time I remembered that, and I was like, ah, I remember not liking it. And I was like, oh no, but for what it is, it's fine. Yeah, um, but uh, I do want to get back to this part uh this 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 piece just because i i have some questions and i'm interested to hear what you guys think but um how to but let's just talk like what were our our own like personal feelings that we had walking away from it um and uh you know i'll start by saying like i don't know you you know i it's easy to be the stereotypical oh i don't pay attention to rotten tomatoes little guy which i think all of us kind of are a little bit i think we all love certain movies that have like really horrible critic response and we also have some movies we hate that have like super high critic response but it is hard to like see that and not feel like oh wow like i really what am i getting myself into and um and and so yeah like i i was really kind of not knowing what to expect and uh it turns out it was kind of like more of the same as the first one but it did especially in the third act it did kind of push things a little further um i remember one thing that we said about the first one was like it it seemed to kind of kind of tried to like be really it absurd and earnest at the same time and this one i felt a little bit more um willingness to get into the more absurdist territory um and so it it, so i think i that's why i say i actually think i enjoyed this one more um there's a little bit of hesitancy that you detect up until the third act and then once the third act happens you're like okay this is like this is this is the kind of mayhem that like uh these movies need to like embrace more and so so it it really was able to win me over with a lot of the the crazy stuff that started happening um but uh but yeah i i i i felt like this one was more willing to go to crazy places than than the last one, which seemed sometimes it felt like it was trying to be like a real movie, and then sometimes it was like, oh, we're the silly shark movie. And this one seems to embrace the silly shark movie of it a little bit more. Um, uh, and yeah, there's some really strange decisions, but overall, um, I, 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 it's close to two hours long, and you could probably chop it down 10, 15 minutes, I think. Um, one thing that is both a blessing and a curse for this is that it it kind of uh had more stathomness to it where it's like yeah like let's utilize him as like an action hero type that he plays but I think there's maybe one or two too many scenes like that that kind of add to the runtime for no real reason um but I am glad that they did more of it um so overall I th- liked it more than the last one and um i if they make another one i want to see it i want to see the crazy train ramp up more again um 
So, uh, yeah, I don't know. How'd you guys feel? Matt, I'll let you go. So I, I very much agree. I'm going to get the negative stuff out of the way. I agree that it was too long for what it was. I also agree with the Jason Stathamness of it all. Uh, the sequence that, that basically kind of opens like after the dinosaur sequence in the movie that they put in the trailer. Um, after that, the opening sequence with him could have really honestly been cut. And I don't think you lose much. You could have just had the one bad guy be the bad guy and we wouldn't have been any the wiser. And so there's some things that they could have done a bit differently. Um, but I watched it with Landon and we both like, there are some moments where we laughed hysterically and like, predictably there's a sequence where this lady's talking about oh this is this the meg can't get through this glass and she taps on the glass and then immediately the meg bursts through and eats her and like that kind of stuff even though it was a fair bit predictable was also kind of like okay this is the kind of stupidity i was hoping for and then by the time you get to the third act it is i mean it's insane you have a giant octopus getting freed and like it's the action sequences are, are are just frankly a lot of fun. It and Bird, we talked about this in our little Facebook group, but like, it's a '90s blockbuster at that point. Mm-hmm. You have the campy dialogue, you have the uh, very cliche sort of like one-liners, and it, but it, I, I had a lot of fun with it by the end of it. So, yeah, I think I think improving the runtime would have gone a long way. Uh, into making me feel more positive towards it, but like overall, I do think it was fun and better than the first. Yeah, I, you mentioned you you took Landon, and um, I actually took Julia. It was just me and her too. Um, <laughs> and and it it was because like uh, I think like the day before, like two days before, we saw it. Like because you know, like most kids, because she's eight, she's about around the same age as is Landon. And, like yeah, kids that age like. I don't know. I mean, like, she watches YouTube a lot, and I'm just like, okay, whatever. But, but like, the ads are at the beginning of, like, every YouTube video. And she was just like, you know, I want to see this. And I was like, do you actually want to see it, or are you just saying it because it's, like, the commercial you keep seeing? She was like, I, I you know, I, 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 I don't know. And then I was just like, you want to go see the Meg? And she was like, sure. And I was actually like... I mean, because I'd—it wasn't like, oh, is this going to be too scary? Because we've watched Jurassic Park, we've watched Tremors, we've watched like Hellboy. It's like, okay, she can handle it, but like, is it really going to be able? Is she really going to stay engaged with it? And I was actually surprised how much she was. Like, you know, whenever a bad guy would get eaten by a shark, she'd get like all excited and stuff like that. So, um, so it, it worked there in a level that I wasn't super expecting. Um, yeah, Landon was the same. Like every time something dramatic happened, he would react to it, or like we would laugh often because it, it does have some fun, like monster bits in here. So yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, Trev, how how did you feel? Well, I took an adult woman to see it, um, <laughs> and and we both liked it. Yeah, I think we're all pretty much on the same page here. I uh, I agree with like your criticisms, um, but I also agree that I liked it more than the first. It's it's weird because I think I like on Letterbox, I think I, I gave them both the same score. But I mean, I know in my head mentally, it's just because you feel weird giving this anything more than that score. But I do think I <laughs> definitely enjoyed this more than the first, and especially exactly because of what you said, Bert. I think I think this one leans into the absurdity in a way that we wanted the first one to do. You know, I remember like, so maybe I have to like refresh your memory of this, but the third act of the first one is actually very similar to this, where the Megalodon ends up attacking like uh, a bunch of people on a beach, you know? And it was like, it's so brief and nothing that cool happens. 
And that was like really disappointing, especially for us coming off of like, not like immediately, but coming off of, but if you compare it to like that whole like party attack scene in the Piranha remake, which was just so chaotic and insane and awesome. And then you get to the one in the, in the first Meg and it's like, oh, the Meg is here and there's all these people on the beach. And then it's like, oh, it ate like one person in a, in a raft and now it's gone. <laughs> and it's like, oh, and then this like this really does feel like almost like an apology for that. Like, oh, we know we could have delivered more. So we're going to redo that, but just go insane here. Bring in more creatures, have it go on and on for like 20, 30 minutes. Uh, have, you know, people having to fight other people while they're also fighting monsters. And I've seen, like, that seems to be the general, like, consensus with this that I've seen online is that, like, oh, if you can just make it to the second half, that's where it gets really good. But I even think, like, yes, you could shorten the first half. But I thought the stuff in the first half was fine, too. I mean, I have other, I have other positives to talk about. I really liked um, Wu Jing in this, who plays the brother character, like the new, the who replaces Li Bingbing's character. And I thought it was like really kind of neat to have him and Jason Statham as kind of these two people co-parenting the little girl. And I just found him to be like a likable character. And especially when you get into the last act, I think he's, he's like really actually kind of fun as he becomes like an unlikely action hero. And I know he's like a huge star in China, right? Like that's like part of the reason it's doing so well at the box office there is he's like the star of those wandering earth movies. Um, but I, I liked him quite a bit in this. And, uh, so I, you know, I thought like him and Statham were both fun. Uh, I liked the stuff with the exosuits, even though I think it's kind of unfortunate. We never actually get to see Statham in a suit exosuit fight. One of the Megs, that's what I was waiting for. Yeah. But it's same. just like, but it's just like dumb sci-fi stuff. It's kind of fun. And yeah, I just think like every, like almost everything about it is better than the first one. I like, ex- but it, again, the runtime does hurt it a little bit. Like it, it needed just a little bit trimmed out of that first half to get you to that chaotic final uh, sequence quicker. But, but otherwise I, I think it's a pretty good time. And I'm, I, as you guys said, I'm really kind of baffled by the critical response to it. Maybe not the critical response, but um, well, you just, but Matt, you just said the audience score for this is actually pretty high on, on Rotten Tomatoes, right? So I guess that makes more sense. And I will say like bird, I'm, I'm more like active on Twitter than you are, especially like film Twitter. And I will say, like, in the circles I run, like, the kind of horror and action film Twitter side, they seem to be more into this movie, for sure. And, in fact, there was a lot of, like, when that zero, like, Rotten Tomato score dropped, there was a lot of people being like, oh, man, now I'm excited to see the Meg 2. You know, it's almost <laughs> like yeah. people were excited that the critics, like, the serious fuddy-duddy critics weren't enjoying this movie. And I've definitely seen a lot of people, like, in our camp who are going to see this and actually having a good time with it. And I think it is a good time. It's better than like uh, you could t- pick any of the bottom. I don't know, twenty five percent of the more MCU movies. Like this is better than those. Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. It's... So you know what I mean. Like I, I don't, I don't know. It, it has, it does have a definite charm. It is a lot of fun. If a critic watches this movie and is expecting some like super serious take on whatever, I think they're going in with the wrong. I, I what, what I will say is I think it it sets out to accomplish the absurdity and it and it does that well. Yeah. By the time you get there, if you trimmed it up, I, I think it would have I would have rated it higher. I will say one criticism I read today, which I hadn't even really thought about, but it's the kind of thing where you read it and you you agree to you sorry you read it and you agree with it to the point where you even realize oh maybe subconsciously I was thinking that and it never really occurred to me directly. But one problem it has, and I think this is like even true the first one a little bit, but definitely this one is that the Megs themselves aren't really characters. You know, you think of like the shark in Jaws and, you know, the shark in the shallows and the sharks in Deep Blue Sea even, you know, and it's like they kind of are given more opportunity to show personality 
and feel like almost like a character in the film. And these, there's like three Megs. One of them has like this supposed connection to the one character. One of them they actually have all scarred up, which seemed like a nod to Jaws too. But they yep. don't. They just kind of are things like the Megs just show up when the movie needs them to, and they eat something. They don't, unfortunately. I mean, and does it, I mean, does this make sense? You guys agree? They don't give them enough like personality to make them kind of stick out as characters. Yeah, I, I agree with that because in the first piece of the movie, they introduced the uh, heightened. I can't remember the, the name of the shark, um, but they introduced that shark, and then they briefly have the sharks kind of go into the trench. Yeah, and they're more like, "Hey, we're just going to do stuff," and then the sharks disappear for a bit, and you don't really get to see a bunch of them until kind of towards the end. So I think that's—I mean, I think that's a fair criticism. Yeah, like even like the—that's a great example. Of what I mean, because like the the shark Haiki, I think is the name. Like you see that that's the shark that this guy believes he's like friends with, and then it escapes, and then it's just with the other two Megs. But honestly, in the whole last action like climax, I didn't know which Megalodon was which. And no, I didn't, there's no I didn't, I didn't, yeah, and I didn't know if, like, Haiki, you know, obviously, spoiler alert, Haiki is the, the last one left standing, but I didn't know that until they made that point with the clicker thing at the end, because I, for all I knew, Haiki could have been one of the other ones they already killed. You know, it's not like, they didn't distinguish the three of them in any way once they start, you know, causing chaos. Yeah, and um, I was sort of waiting for them to make that shark the hero. Yeah. Like somehow that shark was going to eat and defend them or something. That would have been, I would have been like totally on board for that. And this is, this is actually the kind of thing to bring it to like Godzilla. This is the kind of thing that I thought Godzilla versus Kong actually did really well mm-hmm. is that it just gave up on any pretense of being serious and it leaned into being absolutely stupid. And I love that movie. It's not a good movie, but I absolutely love it f- for that. And I think this is the same kind of vibe, especially in the third act. Yeah. So whenever the sequel comes out, I'm actually hoping that it is more of that that vibe and i think wingard is the guy to 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 be able to do that and that's what i liked about this movie it it, by the time that you get to the third act it is at least worth it like you you don't feel like you waited around for nothing like it was like holy crap this just keeps going and it's it's a lot of fun and my and landon kept reacting like with audible like screams or like tears which tells me that it's doing well with that core audience that you would expect it to yeah, it's like really well engineered in the last act, right? It sets up a lot of like obvious gags, but pays off on them. And like it gives you like a lot of the, you know, car- well, not carnage. I still think the series, you know, I wouldn't mind if they were rated R, so you could just get a little more gruesome, but it gives you the PG 13 version of carnage you need. But I, I do think adding in, like it's silly on its face, but I think adding in like the villains and having this like mercenary group there to to be like another threat but also just to then you can like cheer as people are getting taken down by these creatures was a smart move so that makes the end like really fun too and like the other creatures i will say it's it is kind of amusing how because the movie is the meg and that's like the main threat and like the main star of the movie no one really seems to care about this giant octopus <laughs> it like it also yeah. shows up and no one's ever like oh my god a giant octopus they just kind of like barely react to it until they have to like you know, get away from it. I don't know. That was, uh, was an odd move, but okay. But Sorry, I, I, I had like a that. I had a call from work uh, come in, but I I caught I caught uh, what you guys were just saying with uh, um actually giving it like villains uh, yeah. and and which which I mean any monster movie 
you can't, believe it or not, <laughs> Godzilla fans, you, you can't rely just on the monsters. You need to have something else, even if it's something small. What was nice there, though, and you mentioned this, Trev, was actually, like, having the moment where you see them, like, get eaten or whatever, um... Like there's an actual like catharsis there, <laughs> you know. It gives the it gives you the, the audience moment, and then um, yeah, the giant the giant octopus does have a cameo in the first movie. Uh, yes, uh, but it's like it's not the same giant octopus, obviously, because it gets eaten in the first movie. Oh well, whatever. <laughs> I don't remember that. I just remember the giant octopus. <laughs> Yeah, it attack. There's a giant octopus that attacks the sub in the first movie, but then it instantly, that's like you think that's the threat, and then the Meg like eats it. So this is maybe this was like it's a kid coming for revenge. Or yeah. Something, Do you um? And I, I I know you guys talked about the PG thirteen rating. That's like where I I kind of uh, popped my head back in here. Um, I feel like when it came to the first one, we were saying we kind of wished it leaned more into like a gory, mm-hmm. you know, horrorish. Territory? Do you do you f- still do you do you feel like this? I mean, I with two of these movies now. Now, do you feel like this works better as an action adventure kind of deal, or that that you know people like me and Matt we can take our you know eight nine year olds to, or do you do you think it needs to you know I guess get more into like Piranha three D kind of. Territory. I think it's I think it's fine the way it is. I think you know now that I, now, when hear you guys talk about taking like young kids and them having a good time with it, it's fine. And I think I might have maybe I I don't know. I didn't go back and listen to our episode five years ago, so I don't remember if I said this, but I definitely thought it again. In your head, you're like, oh, it's a shark movie. I wish all shark movies were rated R because obviously the after effects of a shark attack are so gruesome. But the thing about the Meg is like it kind of just swallows you whole. Yeah, with right? the size like, of the <laughs> yeah. shark, <laughs> you know, it's not going to leave so, a whole lot of pieces behind. So the only part in this where I f- kind of felt the PG-13 rating and thought like, oh, this is an opportunity where you could have been more gruesome is when the little dinosaur creatures grab like the the evil like CEO out of the helicopter and pull her into the bushes. Mm-hmm. And, and you just kind of hear a That's scream. Fair. It's like, eh. That seemed like a little neutered. And I pain, almost you know? expected like almost like um, a Jurassic Park two moment, like when the two T Rexes like rip the dude in half. Mm-hmm. I almost expected it to yeah. like go there, which I guess you know that movie was PG thirteen, and I I don't know you could probably get away with that. Yeah, there. this seems like the kind of movie that back in the day there would have been like an unrated cut later, on, right? Like you know, home video, they don't really do that anymore, you know, because no one gives a crap about the the later uh, home video release, but. Um, yeah, I, I, there's moments where they probably could have pushed it. I'm also thinking of, like, <laughs> uh, I know what you guys are going to think the second I say this. Uh, it's an inside joke, people. But, like, there's a scene in Congo, another PG-13 movie, <laughs> where, like, one of the apes runs up to someone and throws a guy's heart, <laughs> like, <laughs> at them. Like, uh, so, you, yeah, you can definitely push the limits of like a creature feature in PG 13, I think a little further. Mm-hmm. Um, have we bird, have we ever told the story on the podcast about your fascination with Congo? I, I mean, I don't have a fascination with it. It's just, I, I had a Congo birthday party once. And since that movie like really wasn't, uh, it didn't meet its ambitions. Where's the failure to franchise on Congo, by the way, Trev. I don't know. I don't know if they wanted to do Congo sequels. It was just the one novel Congo. <laughs> I, I know, but that was like where like they were clearly hoping it would at least be like make Jurassic Park money, oh, like yeah. be like a Jurassic Park. Um, but 
uh, yeah, the, there's a, 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 um, a running joke because since that movie was what it was, I always mention like the weird, like you know, the weirdest themed birthday party I had was Congo, where like we all went to see Congo. I got all the Congo toys that were in clearance bins like a week later, and uh, so anytime the movie Congo comes up, everyone's like, "Oh, here's Bird and his Congo again." Um, but uh, Congo is, is an example of a where you could take a creature feature and, and make it a little more gruesome and still, you know, make your thing that can sell Happy Meals or whatever. Um, but. Uh, uh, yeah, the uh, yeah, I'm I'm starting to kind of jive, I guess, with I guess the vision of these as like kind of an action adventure thing, and I think uh, mm-hmm. this makes me want to bring it back to a point that I think both of you have mentioned at this point, and I I don't know we we, we can parse this out, but and I, I I even said this to I think I was the first of the three of us to see it, and I think I even said like right after I saw it is like this feels more like a '90s creature blockbuster than you know what we see a lot and i i guess um the the parallels that i'm thinking of are movies like uh anaconda and um you know deep rising uh deep blue sea um these movies in the 90s there weren't many of them but but it, lake placid but but they they felt like okay this is a big budget b movie not in the way that like I don't know, a MonsterVerse movie is, but this is a big-budget B-movie in that it really feels like someone like just dug out a script that was probably laying around since like the 60s and just like got like a young person to like do a polish on it. Um, and I don't know, I, I think I'm, I'm going to need help from you guys in elaborating on that a little bit, but it, 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 it feels more like that than the first Meg movie to me. I mean, I agree. I think this is easily. I know we've done, we've talked about Deep Rising on this show before, and I think this is easily at least as good as something like Deep Rising. You know, I think it's it's kind of got the same to me, the same just enjoyable monster movie vibe to it. And I think you're you're right. And I think what you're getting at is the, and this is especially the second half of this movie, is the the lack of like pretension and not taking itself too seriously and leaning into it. Like I, I mentioned, like enjoying Wu Jing's character, like you know, the moments at the end where he's like fighting the dinosaurs with a shovel or, you know, jumping off the helicopter with a bomb. And the movie is like, is just like playing it very goofy and it's finally embracing its absurdity. And I think that's what the, those nineties creature features were really good at of like knowing their B movies, but with an elevated budget. And that's what this one seems to be aiming for too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would agree. Um, I, I think, I kind of described it as like a nineties blockbuster, but like really it's, it's got that fun sort of B movie vibe. I, I want to go back real quick and just revisit something though. Cause like there was enough, um, you mentioned the rated R piece. If you're going to do that and make this a pure horror movie, then I would be all for it. But I also think that I probably wouldn't have shown it to Landon. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's that trade off there. So for me, I thought this movie had enough of the horror elements that I appreciate. And not so much gore that I would have been like, is Landon ready for this kind of thing? Because like, there's that one, the, the one shot I love is when the shark, like the Meg is, sh- is swimming and its mouth is open. And then you see from the perspective of, of inside the shark, he's just swallowing people 
that was and great. that moment was actually really like it was terrifying and like just really awesome yeah they that that reminds me a lot there's a scene in uh i think it's the third jaws movie and uh that movie's extremely forgettable in my opinion but that that is a like a moment in the third jaws movie where you're like i'm this is actually kind of like freaking me out <laughs> or or even uh or, i don't know i have a thing about like i it's easy for me to watch a monster eat someone but once you're like in the in they have like that view inside the monster even stuff like pinocchio uh but that's also like or, or the scene in nope where like you actually see the people like being sucked through this that monster is, yes. like like that's a, a thing with me where it's like uh i'm I, what's the word is it vor i'm not a vor fetishist <laughs> there's people that like get like aroused at the idea of being eaten but like yeah the the stuff like that always like kind of gives me tingles I, I mean i think the answer to this question is in the fact that you know we like this this is like we think this one's more effective because honestly now i'm thinking about it, you know you ask are we still bothered by it i'll tell you why we're probably bothered by it less is that you're always looking for something to make a movie stand out and be memorable. And like, what's the element that rises above? And I think when we talked about the first one, we probably like got like a little bit more bogged down by the, it should have been our thing because the, we just kind of felt like the whole movie was kind of bland and, and unremarkable. And right? also so we, we kind of like, well, if at least if it had been gory, that would have been something. But yeah. Yeah. It doesn't need that because it actually gets so absurd at the end. You're like, well, that makes up for the lack of gore. Like, and, and, and the last it, one, one or the other, right? And I think before John Turtletaub, came on to direct the last one the the version i mean we went over we kind of went over the history of this when we talked about the first one like the the person that left off before that was eli roth and so mm-hmm. like that's already in in you know there were uh maquettes and in, in concept art of like where he would have played up that angle and so like we were going into it coming off of like, oh, well, this is where it was going and this is where it is now, you know, I, I think we couldn't help but feel like we were getting something that was a little bit more watered down. It's also just true, too. Like, you know what, if you want, like, a really intense, like, R-rated shark movie, you have no shortage of those, you know? So yeah, you, why, I mean, why not also have, like, a fun franchise that's PG-13? Yeah, because you, you still got, like... <laughs> 47 meters down um mm-hmm. shark night bait i mean not a shark movie but very similar like piranha 3d like you have a you got plenty of stuff to watch you know um but yeah what what you guys were saying is uh, i kind of want to dig into this a little bit is like um it reminds me of what we said about godzilla versus kong and i and i know trev that was of these monster verse movies that's the one where you kind of felt like okay they finally made a movie i can jive with and a lot of it was kind of like you you were like i they finally just kind of like i mean you look at king of the monsters and yes there's campy stuff that doherty did in there there's a lot of dumb humor and stuff like that but like it also like was saying like here's this message about the ecosystem here's this weird backwards messaging about you know radiation and like it it kind of was trying to do be be the like an earnest sci-fi movie and like a silly B movie at the same time and it's it's very hard to do both and with Godzilla versus Kong it, it felt like someone like you know having Adam Wingard there to like I mean they chucked out a lot of what was written on the page of that movie and kind of brought it down to like okay this is what the the, the this is the monster movie people are going to like you know they don't need all this other stuff they don't need the pretenses here. And um, I feel like that's what works about this also. Um, 
And and there's a difference between okay, a movie that's stupid and a movie that's like my kind of stupid. <laughs> and and I think this movie it doesn't quite hit the spot perfectly there, but it gets it gets closer. Yeah. No, Matt made the the Godzilla versus Kong comparison while you're on your call, and I, I I think it's it's dead on. I mean, I think it's like if you're making a movie like this, like look, especially in like the last couple of decades, these kind of cheesy B movies have, have proven to have an audience, and you know, like this those Sci Fi Channel originals were popular for a reason, and there can be a documentary all about shark exploitation for a reason. There's there's no reason not to like lean into the absurdity when you're making a movie about a giant shark you know you might as well you might as well play up that absurdity as we said earlier that's why i'm in with the thing with like blowing water out your nose so your head doesn't explode in the trench like (laughs) whatever like i don't care i don't need the mag to be that scientifically accurate i need it to be fun and so lean into the absurdity don't worry about logic make you know something that feels like an old old school monster movie just with with modern effects you know and that's that's fine and i think this one we probably suddenly like broken records at this point, but I think that's true. And it's like, what, what gives this one a nod for me is this one leans into the fun more than the first one did. And I really do think, I, I think that probably was, I honestly think, you know, I don't know how much of a Ben Wheatley played into this, like how much of a hand he had in that. But cause again, we said, it's not like you would watch this movie and go, that's definitely a Ben Wheatley movie, but maybe his thing or whoever it was came on and he came on and said, let's listen to what people complained about the first one, even though it was a hit. And let's kind of fix that, you know, and, you know, um, that even goes to like Matt mentioned the opening scene in this is the sequence where we see a bunch of different creatures and the mm-hmm. crustaceans get eaten uh, leading up to a T-Rex getting eaten by the Meg. That's the first scene in the, in the original Meg novel. Mm-hmm. And people were like really upset that wasn't in the first movie. Yeah. So then they're like, well, you know what? Fine. We'll give it to you this time, you know? And then they're like, well, people were like, well, we wish it had been goofier. Okay. This one's goofier. Maybe there's even people who are like, Hey, why is Jason Statham in this and not Kung Fu fighting anyone? Okay, well he will in this one. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. It gives you like everything that seemed to be missing the first time. Yeah, this this one doesn't quite strike the balance the the best, but it it it's I feel like the effort is being put forward there to where if they did a third one, I feel like I feel like they wouldn't be as shy to like do something crazy like, you know, here here's dinosaurs or whatever you know mm-hmm. um uh and and yeah and we've seen movies that try to do this that i don't think have worked super well i i know uh, like the one that comes to mind is a movie that was definitely going for what this movie does what godzilla versus kong does and to me just kind of missed the mark was rampage um trev you didn't you never saw rampage right nope so so that's one where like everyone involved it seems like really wanted to make this type of movie but just for whatever reason it just couldn't quite get there and um and uh you know I don't know if part of that has to do with you know whatever changes maybe the rock might have wanted to make um and I was kind of comparing the rock's character in rampage to Statham in this and it's like we see Statham in, you know, like I said, even if there's maybe a scene or two too many of these that add to that runtime, you know, we see him in these big fight scenes and stuff like that. And I don't know if maybe it's just he's a better action star than The Rock, but like Rampage would have yes. a, <laughs> Rampage with scenes like that, but like they wouldn't be as like fun or interesting and and like it, and 
so I don't know if if, if maybe it's that Statham sells that to me more than than you know the Rock's version of a fight, which is just like. Well, do you think it also might be because you mentioned this is a question for you, Bird, and Matt, maybe you can you can chime in too because I'm now I'm curious to see if you guys think this. Do you think maybe part of it is you mentioned that in recent years there's been a lot of these like Chinese monster movies, right? And they've that's been like a fairly successful genre over there, right? And like this series is definitely made to be international. Yeah, we talked about yep. um, it's like you know it makes a lot of its gross internationally. And like I said, we they put Wu Jing in, who's like a huge star over there. Yep. Like I mean, he's like his movies are like those like Wandering Earth and like what was it like the uh, Wolf Warrior or whatever? I can't remember exactly what they call it, but those are like those are close to like billion dollar movies. Um, I didn't even notice. I read something where like I haven't seen those movies, so sorry if this is like a spoiler. But I know I guess he's like the star of that first Wandering Earth. And I, oh, sorry, spoiler alert, but his character apparently dies at the end of it. But he was like, he's so beloved, they made the next one a prequel so they could still be <laughs> in it. <laughs> it's like they're just like, he's too big of a star, we cannot have him in it. Yeah, the, these um, are very much, like, in the truest sense, these are yeah. Chinese co-productions. And, yeah, and, um, and we used to, like, always bristle at that. And there was a period there where that got to be, like, really annoying. It was every movie. Blockbusters we would see where they yeah. were, like, clearly sticking in Chinese characters. I think these two movies, especially this one even, like handles it the best right because you really do believe they're just like oh no this there's like a bunch of different nationalities on this space on the station they're all working together uh it's it never feels pandering it just feels like no these are really the people who would be there um but anyways what i was saying is do you think because it's already aiming for that audience as well they're willing to be more goofy and lean into it since those other chinese monster movies have done so well that's a really good question um and yeah like yeah there and i even mentioned earlier like in china there's like this huge like renaissance of b movie mm-hmm. giant like and i mean yeah it's it's like their version of like a sci-fi original but like sci-fi originals were like a i don't want to say a big deal but like they were really popular like in yeah. their heyday so maybe that's what they were actually aiming for this time because they're like we don't care about the critics like you know some american people might like we we know those movies make money so yeah and um and yeah it's interesting i mean it, the chinese box office we don't thankfully we don't rely on it the way we used to but these are 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 very much like uh, one of the holdouts from that phase, and I think the Chinese uh, studio backing for the Meg reaches back into like even like development of the first one back in like either the late nineties, early two thousands. Like uh, it's it's something that ha- Chinese money has been in- invested in from like day one practically, and um, yeah, you wonder if if maybe the um you know with any co production you got to you you got to be at the mercy creatively to your studio overlords and yeah i mean it might be that you know you might have like the the chinese studio being like maybe even encouraging them to like go a little a little crazy mm-hmm. um and yeah if if that's true there is something you could look into that as maybe you know a, a cultural difference in how we you know uh, how we look at things like this um but yeah it, 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 this like I said, where it's not Godzilla versus Kong was closer to that sweet spot of like yeah. just being like, okay, we're 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 dumb, but we're not du- condescend. We're not dumb to condescend to you. We're dumb just to like try to like keep your keep you engaged for an, you know an hour and a half or whatever. Um, and and that's more. This is we're getting there. If they keep making these, we will get there. But we yeah, are if it's getting like baby there. steps, right? If the third one now is like, if the entire third movie is what the second half of this one is, then it's like, oh, you've per- you've perfected it across three movies. 
right? The next one is just don't even worry about being serious at the beginning. Just start with like the brother character being like, I found out I can ride high key while wearing my exo suit. <laughs> like, <that's, you> know, <laughs> I would watch that. I'm already sold. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the, the, I think, yeah, when you have something like, with, when you have any monster movie, really, you have the opportunity to do something, I guess, that's more deeper, more profound and metaphorical, or you can go the complete, like, crazy opposite of that, and there's ways to make both of those things work, um, and, uh, and yeah, the, this, that, that's where this movie finds its strength. Um, if there is anything that I think maybe is like something I can say, like, okay, Wheatley made this work is, um, for this kind of movie, I actually thought some of the scenes in the trench were, did have like a decent amount of tension to them. Like, you know, when they're running out of air and there's all kinds of crazy monsters like coming out and eating people. Um, I did feel like that, that was like a, a decent little horror sequence that, that they put together there yeah even the moment where like the one woman's like mask breaks and her head explodes like for that's yeah, well that was 13 horror you know yeah yeah and and that's that's another part where they could like okay make it more gruesome because like yeah like her head like collapses basically from like her mask getting shattered and like water pressure but like it looks kind of like she just like explodes into water <laughs> you know and then um- Immediately after that, Jason Statham can swim. Right. With no headgear on. <laughs> but yeah, it sure but did, it's, I mean, not to be crass, but it sure did hit different watching these movies after the whole Titan thing, huh? Like it's, <laughs> like, it's kind of impossible not to think about that while you're yeah. watching these. Um, but yeah, that, that's a moment where I was like, well, if this was Deep Rising, we would see him like turn her head and see like her skull like completely like caved in or something. Um, so it is. So I, I, I mean, we kind of touched there, and I, I hate what about isms. I hate when people give me what about isms. I hate doing what about isms. But we're human. It's just something we. It's part of human nature to do it. Um, and uh, you know, w- when we have a movie like like that's why I guess I'm bringing up movies like Rampage or Godzilla King of the Monsters. It's like. I, I kind of need to. I, I kind of feel like you almost need to explain why one is what I would call my kind of stupid, and the other one is just stupid. Um, uh, now, where I am going to go with that is like, where where do you think the critical response to this movie is as sour as it is? Um, um, like for for example. Um, Godzilla versus Kong, Rotten Tomatoes. We are at what are we at? Seventy-five. Um, so, what is it about this that is not connecting the same way? Okay, here's my theory. Because I mean, first of all, let's just say, and you just said it, it's true. This is not as good as Godzilla versus Kong. So I mean, right there, oh, yeah. that's that part of it, right? It's not as much. It's not as consistently fun. It's not as short. You know, it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't get to the point as quick. Um, so maybe that's part of it. I, I think, you know, we've talked recently in in our chats and everything that I think we're hitting a breaking point where people are just sick of big blockbusters in general. Yeah. 
I think, you know, we're seeing like kind of more um, audience antipathy towards that kind of movie because of like the glut of the Marvel and DC stuff. And, you know, even like we we saw the, the last Fast movie, a franchise that even as it got really, really stupid, people kept celebrating it. But then it seemed like the last one suddenly like everybody turned on it. Mm-hmm. Right. And people just seem like really tuned out on blockbusters. And I think when at you, the end so of the day, they're that, all action movies. Yeah, and I think that's part of it. And I also think with this one, I think there's maybe a little bit more even critical anger towards it because people were so blah on the first one that they're kind of like, I don't even, this shouldn't be a franchise. Yeah. I think a lot of critics went into this like, why am I watching a sequel to The Meg? You know, why is that even a thing that exists? So I think they maybe brought a little bit of that into the theater with them and yeah. like a little grumpier. And I think they sat there. And I think if you're like a critic who comes in, and, and I'm not anti-critic, I don't want to, but I think I can see someone who goes in with that with that idea, probably sits there with their arms crossed and is just like, I didn't like the first one, I can't believe they made a second one, and can actually sit there and fool themselves into thinking it's just the same movie again. And like not recognize the improvements and not recognize that this one's having a little bit more fun. So I think that's probably, it's probably those two elements, just people not wanting the Meg to be a thing, and then people just being sick of big blockbusters yeah. in general. And yeah, you, when you so look I, at, <clears throat> oh, no, go ahead, man. I was actually going through some of the kind of the the reviews and the two consistent themes is that it's too slow in the first part and that it's an act three movie. I can agree. That's criticism. So like the the slowness and the fact that it takes so long to get going is kind of the big, the big thing. And then actually I do think they're going, a lot of people mentioned the first movie in their review. And so I do think they're holding over that like, okay, the first movie was fine. This one's trying to make up for it, but they felt that when they watched this. Mm-hmm. And I think that was maybe, you know, can I just say point, though, like, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say like, I, I don't, I don't know that I would say that's a fair criticism. I understand the reaction to it, but like, I think you have to watch both self-contained in that way. Yeah. Like what's wrong with the sequel being better than the first? It happens sometimes and you know, you, you can just enjoy it. Well, <laughs> when, better off if it happened more often. Uh, yeah. 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 When, when the sequel is actually kind of being like, okay, we heard you a little bit on the first one here. Let, let us try to make up for it. Like that's usually like a, those are like brownie points for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Ghost Rider spirit of vengeance. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's that's like, what a great <laughs> example. Yeah. <huh? laughs> It, it it's it's a valid example, but I there's probably better there's ones you can draw from. The bar was on the floor and it was raised ever so slightly. You know, um, yeah. I uh, uh, I also just want to quickly say, Bird, that I, I think because we we all mentioned it, but I also think it's a third act movie is a weird criticism. Like it's something you can point out. Like you can say, like, yeah, the best stuff is in the third act. But why is that like such a complaint? Don't you want movies to end the strongest? And, yeah, right. Like, yeah. I don't think it's that big of a problem that all the great stuff is at the end because you kind of want the movie yeah. to build all the great stuff, and you want to walk out of the theater on the high of like how insane the last right. half hour, twenty minutes was. Yeah, I, I do agree that yeah, like the the first act, like uh, like the first it half of the trimmed. movie, where yeah, we're sure. we're that's where you know you're stretching things a little bit. So I can see how some people might be like, well, we waited all that and for this, but like <laughs> at what cost, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, it it's just uh, I don't know. It's a little surprising to me because I remember when we talked about Deep Rising again. I hate the what about isms, but I, I I'm gonna do it because I'm human. Um, we we were like surprised that it had such a viscerally negative 
reaction. And now it's, you know, kind of among like monster movie fans, it's like this cult classic. And, um, I guess this is kind of a reminder that like sometimes that really isn't what people are, <laughs> are into, I guess, you know? Um, but I don't know, maybe time will be kinder, uh, I don't know. It, it's interesting to see what... I feel like they're probably going to make another one. Like, this one did well. Um, yeah, and I think time is going to be kind of this one because, as you said, we already see a higher audience score. And like I said, I'm already seeing people online celebrating it more. Yeah. Saying, like, don't listen to the critics. This is fun. You know, I think you're going to see... This one's definitely going to end up... I mean, it's already there, I think. This one's going to end up with a better reputation than the first one. Yeah. Yeah, so. in, in, in the shadow of Barbenheimer, too, that is... That's not the, yeah. That's the not the easiest thing for like. This is basically like the underdog right now. It's also fighting against Ninja Turtles, um, and yeah, but yeah, I I do think. Speaking of Barbie and Oppenheimer, I do think those movies show that people do want you know all star cast, big budget spectacles, and with Barbie, even I think part of that uh, success you can even drop to being like it's a very famous IP. But I think the the success of both of those show that like. <laughs> People want something more than you know the action, the cliched action movies, and that's what this is. It's what Blue Beetle is going to be. It's what so on and so forth is going to be. So I yeah, will say, if they do a third one, they probably should get it out quicker than five years. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I, you might be you might be pushing our tolerance if you make us wait another five years. Yeah, you should it, probably if you want to do a sequel, to this one get going. Yeah, it's not often that a sequel these days comes out this far apart and still does decently well. Like. I don't, I think, I don't, and I don't even mind long waits between sequels, but this this series isn't popular enough to justify. Yeah, it, so it's like when they finally strike while they are entitled a little bit. Yeah, more. it's like when they finally did a sequel to Three Hundred, and like no one saw it because it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, no one cares about this anymore. So yeah, it's kind of surprising that this is a title that has like this is a franchise that has had the legs to. to well, because do what honestly, it's done. too, like that's part of it. Too. You know, you wait five years. I think uh, I, I this just occurred to me for the first time, but. You know, even the fact of waiting five years, you ask why people are like, you know, why the critics are kind of more against it. That makes it almost seem like an afterthought. And it makes it seem like, why is this? Why are they even bothering with this? You can like fool people into thinking something's really successful by just like rushing the sequel, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like if Meg 3 comes out in like two years, people will be like, wow, I guess this is like a really big series, right? People are really into it. So that you, you should, like I said, just get into it as quickly as possible this time. Yeah. Um, I do have the critic thing. There's definitely something to like, the mainstream audiences and social media sort of hate the critics now. Yeah. And oh, like yeah. people getting definitely excited. So like the fact that it came out with that low score, like I wonder how much that impacted people wanting to go see it. Cause blah, 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 critics, blah. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. This is, I mean, there's going to be movies in our near future where I'm sure this is going to be a more dissected, a topic to dissect in more detail. But yeah, it, it's interesting that, um, we now live in a, you know, where studios and franchises and studio marketing and PR have, they've like successfully turned moviegoers against critics. Um, <laughs> unless it's like confirmation bias. Like, oh, I'm excited for the new Batman movie. Oh, boom. See, it's got 95%. And, you know, you're, you're just as excited for the new Batman movie and it's got a 20%. You're, oh, I don't want, uh, fuck the critics. I'm going to go make up my own mind. And it's, it's such a, it's a bizarre relationship. And, it, you know, part of that is like, you know, uh, criticism has kind of gotten weird in the age of the internet and how it's mm-hmm. like killed off newspapers. And, you know, you don't have, 
you know, oh, here's what I mean, you're... film criticism is, is like a real lost art at this point. Right, yeah, yeah. There's a lot you could... We we will have to dissect that topic yeah. on, on another episode. What well, Probably when we get into something that has uh, more... Um, vocal fan base uh, people today know? will point to something like you know like and i'm gonna use a movie I, I love but people will point to something like you know the dark knight or you know or you so like, let's even do a more recent example where you said like the batman right and like they'll say and i like that movie the batman but people will point to the Rotten tomato <laughs> score being really high and be like you know well that's see that has like the kind of score something like uh the godfather or the exorcist would have and it's like well yeah but that doesn't <laughs> the mean the exorcist weren't getting reviewed by people with sites called like Johnny Poophead's movie poop. You know, it's like <laughs> the majority of the critics had Rotten Tomatoes are just people with film blogs. So it's not the same, you know? Yeah. And so that's why I've always said with the, the, the trick to film criticism, Bert, I'm sure this is what you do. I know it's what I do is I have like five critics that I actually trust and I go read their views. Yeah. And not to say I blindly follow them, but I at least know they know what they're talking about. And I feel like they're actually writing real film criticism. Like you just need yeah. to find critics who are actually like seem to be on your wavelength. Yeah. And the, the sad thing is studios have weaponized fandom to the point where if, if there is a, a like AO Scott had that, you know, he just retired and he wrote mm-hmm. his own like exit interview, basically saying why. And he had that story about how he gave Avengers like, not even the first Avengers movie. He gave it like not even like a horrible s- score or anything, but you know, uh, fans got pissed at him. And then Samuel L. Jackson like uh, uh, like retweeted like you know like his review and said, "Hey, you know, uh, maybe find a job you're actually good at or something." And that just mobilized people more. And like studios and franchises especially have people in their back pocket is is like free PR and they, they don't need critics the way they used to when it was like, okay, here's, you know, this great critic for that writes for this trusted newspaper. Now it's, you know, if you have the social media and PR behind you, you know, I mean, instead of schmoozing the critics, they're going to schmooze your YouTubers, your influencers. And, and that's where the marketing is now. And, and so critic critics themselves are, having less of like uh they they're serving less for these giant corporations at this point mm. and and so yeah that's where you get into like a weird we're in such a weird place with it right now and of course there is the old, old standard of for whatever reason people think critics jo- they 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 think critics jobs are to tell you what to watch and it's like no they're just there to prompt discussion debate get you deciding what you want to do i mean um you mentioned like find a few critics that you trust i have those and a lot of those critics are even people that i often don't agree with it it mm-hmm. a well written negative review of something can m- make me more likely to buy a ticket to a movie than <laughs> a crappy positive review, you know? And so, so that's how I keep stuff like this in perspective. Yeah. That's why I no, loved Ebert. Have perspective. I, I, perspective. I, I thought Ebert opinion wise was almost like always wrong, <laughs> but I, but I loved Ebert because he just had a way of writing about movies that got your, like got your brain working. Mm-hmm. You know, bird told me he loves when critics get doxxed online. No, that's probably. all stuff that needs to stop happening. But um, uh, so yeah, no. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I know. Uh, uh, yeah, we can wrap up. Um, I know Trev has places to be or 
whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, okay, so yeah, how how uh, how many? Um, uh, what's the actor's name? Paige Kennedy. How many expanded Paige Kennedy supporting roles do you give this out of uh, five? I'm gonna say three. Three. Yeah, I'm also going to say three. And I, I mean, I believe I gave the first one a three. The, but so the difference is that was kind of like a, yeah, I guess it's a three. This is a more enthusiastic three. Yeah, I give them both threes, but I'm with you in that I, I prefer this one. It's a stronger yeah. three for me. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I encourage people. I mean, if you like the first one, you'll probably like this one. Yeah, I mean, if you like the first one, there's no reason not to see this one. Yeah, if, if you liked the first one, don't let the the sour um, word of mouth or whatever yeah, this is cloud your... Yeah, if, if you like the first one, you like this. If you don't like the first one, you probably won't, but there's a chance you might be able to see, like, oh, you might get a little more out of it, but um, yeah, strong three, and it's kind of like... it. it it does give me reminders of like you know something like Deep Blue Sea or Deep Rising and movies and like, like you, Bird. I'm know. I'm I'm there for a third one if they do it. Yeah, so. I'll be there too. Be there day one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> day one. Yeah, for the Meg three, I might be there like day three, day four, yeah. but I'll be there. Um, all right, guys. Well, uh, no, this was nice, and uh, yep, uh, Trev, thanks for joining us, and um, yeah, we'll we'll see you next time, Me- Meg heads. That's what they call them, the Meg fans. Good night. Good night. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.